What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Render Time. I'm Richard Lutz, and it is my goal to talk about some of the decisions and challenges that go into some of the biggest movies, TV shows, and commercials in the world. This week, I'm talking with a buddy from college, Reed Murphy, who is a camera operator down here in Los Angeles. It was super informative to hear about how he got started in the business, how he started as a production coordinator, then pivoted to a camera house, then pivoted to another camera house, and then ultimately found his way into working with gimbal systems like movies. Super insightful conversation showing that if you get started doing one thing, that you can pivot to do something else. Working in the entertainment industry or working in communications, broadcast, whatever that might be, is not a straight line. It's not a job where you go to work for 40 years, then you retire. For a lot of people, you're bouncing around from one thing to the next thing. It's not a straight line. So it was really good to hear this from Reed and how it has ultimately dictated his career in the direction that he has wanted to go. So enough of me talking, enough of me just rambling. Let's get into the show and let's hear from Reed about how he got to where he is today. Here we go. Uh, my name is Reed Murphy. Uh, I am a freelance camera operator in Los Angeles. Um, I met Richard through school back at Washington State. Go Cougs. Um, and you know, moved down here after graduation. Uh, decided I want to work in TV and um, kind of took a weird circular route. And uh, got out of TV and more into the film and commercial side of things. So. There is no straight line. Let's just be completely honest. It's, <laughs> it's true. Like, it's true. <laughs> it's all over the place, which is it's not a bad thing in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, it's it, what I'm interested by is like I'm really interested in like people's directions or paths of how they go about these things. So, what was that process like for you, and how like? What was, yeah, let's just start there. Like, I know you, we were involved in Cable 8, which is our student-run TV station. I'm going to get closer to you. Yep. Um, <laughs> I know you were involved in uh, Cable 8. What, like, why did you decide doing the L.A. thing versus, say, TV news? Um, it, it's funny because I, I never at any point while I was really in college – wanted to move to Los Angeles and do any of this. Um, I had very much had my heart set on going uh, into broadcast news and becoming a reporter and anchor, you know, kind of working my way up in the news circuit. And uh, it really wasn't until damn near the last semester of my senior year that I was I realized that it just really, I didn't think I was going to be happy with it. And um, I had been double majoring in production as well at the time and really last minute uh, I got some some really good advice from an advisor uh, Marvin Marcello and he uh, you know he's a production guy himself and it wasn't like he was trying to steer me into this but he you know he basically presented an opportunity uh, to go uh, be a production assistant on Top Chef right after we graduated and you know a lot of my friends are moving to LA and I'm easily um, easily influenced so <laughs> uh decided to do that and come on down here and um yeah i mean i didn't i didn't really know what i wanted to do i, j I just knew i wanted to be on set and you know work 
um, kind of in the action and stuff. And it, it just seemed like a really fun career path. And uh, yeah, so I started with that and didn't realize it was until later I wanted to do camera. And um, until then, uh, I had kind of been coordinating and production and stuff. And um, once I started kind of doing more camera work on the side and photography, it was it really took until that point that you know, I realized I just wanted a camera in my hands. <laughs> That's cool, though, because it's like, I think it's interesting to, uh, oh, you're hearing it, too. Yeah. <laughs> that probably wasn't great for some. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, doing this has made me become a sound guy. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, my sound fucking blows. <laughs> I don't want to do it myself. I should, I should just find somebody to pay. Birds chirping. I know. It's, it's by someone who owns a sound booth. It's going <laughs> to. No, it's like, my, I had a guy's like, Dude, do you need sound booth? I'm like, no, I just need good content. People yeah. will forgive me if if, <laughs> if, uh, if you hear a lawnmower in the background. Yeah, people so. will forgive me to a certain degree if the sh- sound is shitty. It's like this point, I'm more concerned about. God, I can still hear it. Whatever. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm more concerned about content over quality because quality will come in time. Yeah. It's like more. I, I think the content, the meat, meat and potatoes, is a lot more interesting to me than good sound so i'm gonna apologize to all you at home or in your cars or on the subway if you hear a leaf blower welcome to los angeles <laughs> it never stops that was every day is trash day here too so we'll hear that at some point i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure we will um but that's cool i mean we're going backwards for a second you were talking about coordinating and doing that mm-hmm. and then pivoting to the camera and it's like i know we were involved in cable age video underground shows of that nature and production was always the dream we weren't necessarily specific but what was that moment where you found a camera in your hands or you started shooting stills and you realized this is the thing you want to be doing i was starting to realize that um you know the the industry as much as i love it there it just comes with a lot of bullshit um you know there's a lot of egos a lot of um people trying to get ahead on the backs of other people and, it, you know, I think I, I got too much of a taste for that when I was um, coordinating and dealing with producers directly in that regard and um, production managers and just, you know, having to coordinate with every department. Um, you know, one thing I liked about it was you really do get a feel for what everyone does on set. And, you know, you, you learn to adapt and deal with a, a great, you know, many different people. Um, but the big thing I realized was, you know, with camera, you you show up, you are focused on gear instead of people. You know, you still have to deal with the people, yeah. But like, you know, gear doesn't have egos. <laughs> the camera, the camera doesn't have, you know, this um, little man syndrome or anything. You know, any of those um, sort of issues that you find in a lot of people, and it, it just it just seemed like a much easier thing to deal with than to trying to like. Um, make everyone happy and, and, you know, deal with the money and stuff. And, and the other thing I realized was that the camera puts you right in the action. You know, as a production coordinator, you tend to just be in an office at a desk. The one thing I never in my life wanted to do was be stuck at a desk. Or in the mobo. Exactly. And, you know, with um, being a cameraman, like, you, you're literally, like, in the thick of it as much as you possibly can be um, in production. Uh, and it, 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 there's just something thrilling about that to me. And, and in my mind, if, if you're not 
um, you know, everyone on set has a role, but like that is such an important role to me. And it's, it's just exciting. Like, it's just such a rush. And, and I get it because it's like, I mean, I'd be, it's funny. I think I tagged you in a post when I was still living in Seattle and there was Kessel Gear there. And yep. it's like, mm-hmm. when people see a film set, they're not looking for, they're not looking at Video Village. They're looking to see where the camera is. Yeah. How big that, that camera is. <laughs> if it's a big zoom lens or yeah. it's just a short cine prime, they're looking to see that built out camera rig. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when they see that in the lights, then they're like, oh, that's a movie. Yeah. Or that's a TV show. Or that's a commercial. It's, But without any of that, without the camera especially, everything else is irrelevant in terms of what we're doing in the business. Yeah. So you realized you were coordinating and you were coordinating and you realized it wasn't the the right thing to be doing. What was that pivot like? I mean, what you realized that you wanted to be doing camera. How mm-hmm. did you begin to pivot and move down that path? It was tough. Um, honestly, I I kind of stumbled a few times, um, you know, because obviously once you start uh coordinating more and really doing any position on set, the people around you see you as that position. So um, moving to another department is very difficult because, you know, people are going to see you as a production coordinator. They're not going to see you as a camera assistant. They don't, you you don't ever have a camera in your hands. How are they going to know that you're good with, you know, that you can really um, do the work. And, um, you know, I started reaching out to camera people I knew and saying I wanted to learn and, you know, if, to get me on set. The problem was I was working on a lot of big union stuff and, um, get, you know, getting in, at, in the camera department on a union set is, is very difficult mm-hmm. if, if the people, especially if the people don't, yeah. you know, know and trust you. Um, so I was trying to push myself that way. I was turning down production gigs that I probably should have taken <laughs> for money's sake at least. Um, and at a certain point, it just wasn't happening, and um, I realized, you know, maybe I needed to kind of take a new direction. So I took a step back. I applied at a camera rental house, um, video equipment rentals, VER in Glendale. Um, I, you know, it was a nine-to-five job, which was weird to me because I hadn't done that at all uh, in my entire life. I, you know, and uh, you know, I did that for six months, and. Um, realized it just wasn't a company I, I wanted to be with. So I, um, you know, even though I was making connections and, and, and really getting my hands on the gear, which I loved, uh, it just wasn't an environment I, I felt that was going to be conducive to my growth and, and to really getting me back out. And uh, so I applied for a job at Keslow Camera, uh, which is a pretty big time now boutique rental house in Los Angeles. Um, that focuses more on film, commercial, and scripted work yeah, and sing, single camera stuff. Yeah, they're Rockwelder, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, I was at the mill. Yeah, so right across we, the. Exactly, <laughs> they're like in a weird part of it off yeah. the corner, but I was like, "Where's Kessel? I, I know the mill rig is nearby too. But yeah, it's, it's just over that little little stretch of the LA River. Yeah, I think I went there. I think twice to like for like. Mill yeah. But yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a story in and of itself. Oh man, yeah, I saw that thing in action a few times, but I've um, never seen it. <laughs> I've, I've I've seen pictures of yeah. it, and I know it's like you. The drivers are super short. Yeah. But that's it, besides the point. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen this thing, it's a it's it's a car kind of that they have a bunch of tech points on that you can 
in post-production take and basically turn into any vehicle. Um, and it looks seamless. It's really amazing. Yeah, like, the, the dudes at the mill are just... They're geniuses. <laughs> yeah, fucking beasts. And I, I mean, I, I love the mill, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, this is not getting me any closer to yeah. the, the edit chair. I don't know if I want to sit in Roto all day. Mm-hmm. Roto sucks. <laughs> I want to trace this dude out. I know. Frame by frame. I'm not an artist. That's not what I'm here for. <laughs> in front of Premiere or Avid and let me organize bins for 12 hours. Oh, man. That would, it's going to be monstrous, but... <laughs> okay. There you go. It's rock, a step. Rock and roll, but... Um, so you were at Kesla. Mm-hmm. Being exposed to probably some of the coolest gear in the world. Every lens and yep. camera package um, available on the market at the time. What was something that surprised you about that experience i mean what was really eye-opening to you in your mind in terms of that experience coming from ver Mm -hmm. well the i mean the the big thing that stood out was they actually like let me in the building (laughs) it's like my background um you know as eng sports production reality tv uh nothing about that really um you know was any way experience in single camera film world like it's it's really such a vastly different style of production um just all around and especially even the gear the gear itself is is just you know night and day yeah sure it's still a camera and a lens but you know the way it's operated the things you need to make it work and function in that environment um it's just totally different i was <laughs> you know number one i was amazed i got the interview number two you know um that they even hired me because, you know, the amount of training that they had to do to really catch me up to speed was like, you know, it, it was basically taking a short form film school, like crash course um, into, you know, why certain pieces are necessary. Cause I'd never worked with a lot of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I mean, that was just exciting in itself. Um, you know, the, the things I learned just in that first six months um, w- it was it was a bit of a struggle at times, um, but uh, in all, it was a really rewarding experience. And I, I think the biggest thing was just the way that they treat their employees at Keslo is is far and away. Um, you know, you're you're a person there. You're not a stat. You're not a number. Um, and they go out of their way really to make you feel that way and to to make you feel wanted, mm-hmm. which in my mind is you know the best way to manage employees is to show them you know like we want you to work here and that makes you want to work there and work for them and it's just a really great environment great people um you know you work with every day and um yeah it was just it was a really really amazing experience yeah and i mean i i experienced the same sort of thing at the mill and it was uh how do i put this i uh i found that like i'd rather take a pay cut and make less money than be abused on a day-to-day basis. I would rather be happy to go to work and realize that the culture and the people are half of the reason I'm going to work for, not just the work. The work is important and the work is valuable, but at the same time, it's like, I'd rather be surrounded by good people, get paid a little bit less money and have a decent quality of life. And believe in what you're doing, really. Exactly, and the mill has, what I found working at the mill was the mill really took that super, super seriously. Everybody from the interns 
up to the runners and all the way up to upper management. I could talk to any, anybody in that building and not be pushed off or disrespected in any way, shape, or form. I mean, and that's what I found so amazing about working there. And it's good to hear that Keslow is the same way in a lot of ways. Um, so you're surrounding yourself with all this gear. Um, I'm trying to think. What, what, what was your role? Was it just helping ACs and DPs with the rental? Um, I started out, um, you know, especially at the beginning, because I said it was a pretty big learning curve. <laughs> um, Why was it a learning curve, though? Uh, like, what are some examples of that? Well, basically just, um, you know, knowledge, gear knowledge in itself. It, it, as I said, it was, it's just vastly different going from um, these shoulder-mounted uh, sports and reality cameras to, you know, cameras that... Um, really go for more visual quality and um just the the items like follow focuses and cine tapes and uh really all of these things that that go into a camera build like i had never seen any of this shit you know i (laughs) even the cameras themselves like i'd never seen an Arri alexa before i worked there um, I had seen a red dragon one time, I think. And it was like, they wouldn't even let me touch it. Get <laughs> your grubby hands off. Yeah. What, the uh, camera department? Or yeah, VR? no, at VR. I mean, it was, it was just, a. I was in, I was in the ENG division and it, you really, they just don't overlap. Like it, it's, it's really amazing to me. And I, I never really understood, um, the segregation between the two, but it, it like, it's super real. And for, you know, the first six months year I was there, um, was basically me just learning what number one what the pieces of gear are and number two what they do and why they're important and um, so I spent I spent that first six months to a year um, doing package fulfillment basically putting together the gear um, into the cases and um, into the full uh, you know groupings of, of pieces to get ready to um, to prep and to go out and do a job and uh, I did about a year doing that and then uh, got moved into uh, a prep technician role, which is basically the the next step up. It's the intermediary, intermediary between the camera house and the camera assistants, DPs. Um, you're hands-on with them on the prep floor, so um, helping them make sure that all the pieces of gear work, that they have all the required things that they need to make the gear work, uh, that lenses are coming up and... and doing tests and uh you know i I really love that because you you're face to face with these guys you know you uh you get to meet some really incredible people like i you know i got to meet um jeff cronenwith who's my favorite cinematographer he's david fincher's guy okay Um, okay you know whose first film was uh was fight club like he he basically showed up on set and thought he was just operating, and they were like, "No, you're the director of photography." <laughs> and he goes, "The fuck?" <laughs> yeah, that'd be like, "Well, uh, yeah, I'm gonna need a day to like prep everything right? and read that script." Yeah, it's it's nuts, and and you know he went on from there to to become one of the most commercially successful uh, cinematographers. You know he's uh, he he's done. A few more David Fincher films, but he focuses more on commercials. And his, you know, his dad shot Blade Runner, um, Jordan Cronenworth. Like he comes from a very successful family, and um, you know, I think seeing him in person, I like kind of clammed up a little bit and couldn't talk. But (laughs) 
It was a keep it together. Yeah, right? no, I had, I had a hard time. I was kind of shaking in my panties <laughs> a little bit, but um, no, and you know, guys like him, I met uh, Wes Anderson's oh, DP. Um, you know, all these uh, uh, Wally Fister, who's uh, Wally Christopher Nolan's guy. It's just like you know, you're you're shaking hands with these guys and saying and just looking at them and going like you are the epitome of success in my mind. Like you, yeah. there's so much creativity in you and technical experience. And like, you know, the level that you're at is just so inspiring and, and just seeing them and yeah. in person, it just, it really shifts and it makes it real for you. Well, it's not only that. It's like also understanding that they're decent people. They're yeah. not pretentious douchebags. And there's, well, they, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, not all of them, but you know, you know. And I'm not trying to say that about all of them. We've, yeah. we've dealt at some point, we will deal with those people. Yeah. I will not name them because they could be listening. Yeah. Much respect <laughs> to all those who are awesome. But I mean, I when I was at the mill, I met Elliot Rausch, yeah. and he was the nicest guy in the world. I, I went up to him. I was like, Elliot, your work is—it's blown me away since I saw it six years ago before mm-hmm. I moved to Los Angeles. What you did with Last Minutes with Odin and how you've ridden that success to do work for Expedia, University of Phoenix. Dick's Sporting Goods, Nike, it's mm-hmm. like your work is ultimately like what I aspire to do. I love how you've gone from a documentary 5D, 7D look to working with some of the biggest agencies and brands in the world. And I think it's it's humbling to see see these people and know that they're good people and because that's a it shows that there's a trajectory to success that we can do these that things. That is possible. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I mean, it's it, it really puts in, you know, because up to a certain point, all you're seeing is just names on a credit reel. Yeah. And, and seeing, you know, you're in a movie theater with 100, 200 other people and just seeing the work. And it's it's it really is. It's larger than life. And to see them in person and to really put a face to it is just really, you know, it humanizes it. And, yeah. and it does. It makes it real. Yeah, like I was at the mill and I almost I heard that Chivo was gonna be coming in for mm-hmm. a color session. I about lost my shit. I'm like, holy shit, it's Chivo. Did I tell you I worked with Chivo last week? I, I, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, I and I mean that I mean that in the nicest way possible. It's yeah. like with a little bow on it. Uh, I know, yeah. No, it's like Chivo, it's like he's the arguably one of the best DPs in the world right now. Yeah. He's won three Academy Awards in a row. Yeah. I think he's the first person to ever do that in the cinematography field. It's like it's it's seeing a man at the top of his game. It's yeah. just you know the yeah it's 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 really incredible. Like I mean, it's it's one of those situations where I don't even want to like talk. I just want to observe, <laughs> and watch, and like just open the brain and just pour it in and yeah. like break out the the KitchenAid blender and let's let's teach me everything is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, no, I was yeah. It's it, you know that's one of those situations where you just try to absorb everything and you know not. You know, you're there to listen, to watch, to learn, and, you know, just soak it in. He's <laughs> the it. best in the world. He is. He is. Like, I agree. I agree I, at this it's point. like, there are other great DPs out there, and best is a arbitrary term. Mm-hmm. But in many people's eyes, including my own, it's, he's incredible. And I'm not trying to diminish other DPs. Other DPs are incredibly good at their craft, but... But to have the commercial success and also the critical success, I think to, to have both of those married together and... It's rare. It is. It is. And his body of work is just, you know, it's it's just, 
it's diverse. Um, the the different directors he's worked with, and um, to be able to adapt to a lot of the different situations, and and really tell these stories in different ways to separate each of them is like. You know, I think that's that's a big sign of, of success in my mind. Well, even his Instagram is just, it's solid. It's, yeah, it's it's stunning. It's super <laughs> solid. It's just like, it almost in many ways reminds me that a great DP needs to be shooting stills. Yeah, and most of them do. I mean, you know, you, you see a lot of DPs on set and they, you know, most of them are still shooting on their little film, you know, medium format cameras. And, you know, he, when I was on set with him, he had his little Nikon um a funny story going back to Jeff Cronenworth. Um, he he kept a lot of his gear at Kesslow, um, just personal stuff. Literally, like he I think he had a movie there and like his old film cameras and, um, but he had this box of um, of Polaroids that he had shot throughout the years. Literally, like every day he was on set um, with you know a different uh, a different celebrity, different you know cast and stuff. Uh, he'd ask them to stand in, you know, take a Polaroid and stuff, and. Uh, I, I stumbled upon it and you know I was you know I opened it up and barely touched anything looking around over my shoulders no one's looking <laughs> but but you you know I was flipping through just the first page was like Michael Jackson and you know Samuel Jackson Robert Redford like you know it's just really you're just looking at this and going like like holy shit <laughs> this is this guy's like personal book of like memories and yeah things. yeah and it's it's you know and they're stunning photographs and it's on a Polaroid you know, it, it was just really cool to see, you know, and to know that these guys can literally take any camera that's handed to them and, and still make a, an amazing photograph. And obviously, subject matter helps with that. But Of course. Um, so how did seeing that shape your own creative journey? I mean, we can talk about gear until we're blue in the mm-hmm. face, but I don't think it's... Gear is just an extension of the hand. It's like a pencil mm-hmm. or a pen or a paintbrush. These things are tools to paint our perspective and viewpoint of the work that we're trying to make how did working at Keslo and seeing that the, all those Polaroids shape your own viewpoint on working with the camera um well I think you know number one it it, it shows you kind of go back to the the thing before that 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 life and to have a career such as you know being a cameraman it, it's attainable and it, it really put it in my head that like yeah, like you, you know, you've taken a weird roundabout way to do this, but like it's possible. Um, and I think more than anything, it really, it drove me and kind of, you know, it takes some of the anxiety about it. You know, you meet a couple of the, of these big name guys. And, you know, obviously, like, as I said, I'm a Corona with, and I was like, just, you know, sweating in my palms, like couldn't, <laughs> just couldn't speak. But, um, you know, the more you're exposed to these big time guys, the the easier it gets, and the more grounded you become. And and honestly, if you're on set with a big time cinematographer like Chivo or um, or any of these guys, you know, the last thing they want to do is see you fanboy. And you know, especially if you're around actors and stuff, like you know, composure is really one of the best things that you can you can have. Obviously, like um, creative vision and the technical knowledge and stuff, but. Um, the way you carry yourself is, is another pivot point is another really important skill to have. And just to be able to, to be put in these situations and, you know, stay, stay calm, be professional and, um, really get the job done to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. I, I, I understand where you're coming from because working in the Pacific Northwest wasn't much different. It's a smaller market for sure, Mm -hmm. but 
I don't think it matters where you're at on set, regardless of location. I'll use the yeah. Let's use the word location. It doesn't matter if you're in the Northwest. It doesn't matter if you're in Los Angeles, New York, Austin, Chicago. I think there needs to be some level of professionalism because, I mean, I I, I understand when people are agree. I get that. We've all been there. But, um, like, I was on set with Jean Renault. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was literally, like, in between takes, moving in his chair and yeah. panning the water. <laughs> I wasn't saying a word to yeah. him because I entered... I mean, the, te- the set was already tense to begin with. We flew our DP. I can't remember his name right now, but he did Prodigy's Firestarter. Mm-hmm. We flew him into the wrong country. <laughs> we flew him into Vancouver. So I had to drive up and... Uh, had a little border hop action kind of thing. <laughs> and, and he's Irish, so it's like coming back into the U.S. was a royal... Well, as long as he doesn't have a DUI, I mean, that's kind of the... <laughs> well, I was driving. Like, I had to get up at 6 a.m. to go deal with that God. and it's like we blew forty thousand dollars on wardrobe damn yeah we were we couldn't get our our lens package which was the i want to say the cook digital anamorphic set mm-hmm. from abelson because yeah. we were out of cash beasts of lenses oh they're not they're, cheap no they're <laughs> the set's 250k yeah for five lenses yeah for five yeah. we had arm cars we had helis day three of the shoot none of the pas were on walkie because they didn't like check out enough walkies. Oh my god! So what I'm what I'm showing here is like <laughs> a, a a huge degree of fuck ups. Mm-hmm. But through those fuck ups, there has to be a degree of professionalism, because at that point in that shoot, that's all that we were hanging on to was a degree of professionalism of how to get the job done. The minute that goes out the window, that shoot would have been over. Yeah, and it's adaptability. A lot of it is, and you know, I like I've been in a lot of film sets, and you know, I I have to this day not seen a single one that's been that's run perfectly. That's you know had everything go perfectly. right and stuff. And you and you really, you know, you have to adapt to the changes and and be flexible and and be able to say, okay, this is going wrong, and instead of just focusing on that and why it's going wrong, like, you know, figure out how to fix it. And move on. Especially when the first AD is like, we gotta go, we yep. gotta go, we're losing time, that shot's not gonna I, I'm, happen. I'm still we convinced those are the only words in their vocabulary anyway, so it's... <laughs> well, those dudes have, I think, have the, outside of the director and the producer, I think those dudes have the toughest job on set. Most stressful, for sure, in my mind. Yeah, because if if they're not on time, that OT kicks yep. up, and, and that set slows down mm-hmm. really yeah. quickly, and the PAs are like, Damn it! This is a yep. solid day rate. Every, I mean, you know, if you know, I've been on, I've been on set with luckily a lot of great ads. I've been, you know, I've never been on one with a really bad one, but we've we've had a couple ads who kind of, you know, tend to not. Um, I don't know. You have to assert control in that position, and I, I think you know that's tough for some people. And so. You know, another reason I'm not in that kind of position. <laughs> like, I'm going to let you kind of coordinate and just deal with that stress. And I'm just going to, like, kind of hang back and wait until everyone's ready to shoot. Ready? Cell phone, cell phone. <laughs> oh, we got to go. Ready? Okay, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> so, what are you doing to, like, like you're you're obviously working with the movie. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you love it. Yeah. Like, working with that camera and working with every camera format that exists, be that the... The red one, mm. or red one, red epic, <laughs> or helium, 
or the uh, Alexa Mini. I mean, are you hoping to stay in the uh, gimbal game and working with gimbals, or are you hoping to move up into other systems and other roles in the camera department? What is that trajectory look like for you right now? Um, I mean, for now, I, I'm still, you know, relatively new um, with the gimbal game. It's, you know, it's been, you know, a year, year or two at this point. Um, and, you know, operating in itself, uh, you know, like, like you were saying, it's like, it's whatever system you have in your hands is, is still a tool. Mm -hmm. Um, you have guys that are more specialty, like, you know, steady cam operators, movie operators, like I'm doing, um, at the end of the day, you're still operating and learning, you know, there's different tricks to each side. And, uh, a lot of what I'm doing is movie and, you know, I love it because uh, just the smooth motion that you can get out of it. And there's a physicality to it um, that you don't get with just a camera on sticks mm -hmm. and on a head and just, you know, or sitting on a dolly. And um, I think the mobility of it and the physicality um, is, you know, far, you know, for me, it's the best part. You know, you get you're getting a hell of a workout. You're working a creative vision. You know, you're, you're working out your mind and your body at the same time. Um, that being said, like, I, I still think handheld is, <laughs> is, is still some of the most fun and, and really, um, my favorite way to operate just cause you, the control you have over the camera, um, again, it's physical and, you know, you don't get that nice smooth motion and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, um, you know, it, the camera when it's handheld is just really an extension of you an extension of your eye. And, you know, you can whip pan and move your body like as fast as you possibly can. Just like, however your eye wants to see it, you know, you're there, you're there. Um, you know, moving forward, it, my body is not going to be able to t take the kind of abuse that, um, well, that the movie hands down. Dude, like, I know. Although, dude, there are some there are some OG Steadicam guys out there that are still, you know, they're 50 years old and they're still toughing it out. And like, I got a lot of respect for those dudes. Um, but you know, at a certain point, you got to realize you got to protect your body, and and um, I think it's also good to kind of diversify yourself and and learn the different um, the different disciplines of operating, uh, using wheels, using Steadicam, handheld, dolly, crane, um, remote heads. Um, you know, in my mind, a movie—the movie—is giving me a lot of work right now, and it's very popular at the moment. It's even getting even more popular as we're going, um, and I'll stick with that as long as I can. But the ultimate goal is to just operate in general um, and to be able to kind of do really whatever's necessary for the project. Are you hoping to DP, or are you just hoping to operate? Um, near future, you know, operating is, is kind of where it's at at the moment for me. Um, I'm still learning a lot in terms of lighting, and, um, you know, it, it's it's given me an opportunity to get on set with some really um, talented DPs and see, um, you know, how uh, set lighting works. You know, I never went to film school. Like, I, I never really took... Uh, you know, semesters of classes on lighting. And um, so seeing it in real world, real world application is, is basically, you know, how I'm learning. And it's honestly, it's fascinating to me. I'm not, I'm not quite there in terms of setting it myself, but you know, to see these guys do it is, is it's just really phenomenal. But it sounds like the more and more you're surrounding yourself around it, you have ideas of, and not to mention just lighting, but the movie, 
and seeing these things are giving you ideas of how you might approach your own project. I mean, I, I also have followed your still work and it's, it's stunning. Like, oh, thank you. How have those things started to ultimately shape the sort of work that you hope to be doing? Well, uh, you know, you mentioned my still work and traditionally I've done a lot more uh, landscape than anything else because, you know, there's <laughs> something about mountains at sunset and all that kind of stuff that just really, um, really get my engine running, if you will. Um, but I, I think seeing a lot of that, uh, a lot of set lighting and just really, um, you know, different styles of, of that have kind of pushed me to more experiment with uh, portrait lighting. Um, which obviously is, you know, about as close in the stills wor world as you can get with, um, uh, you know, lighting for film. And just kind of seeing uh, the characteristics of light and the properties and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, ultimately, I think it is preparing me to DP one day. Um, but, you know, the best thing you can do is not hurt your reputation and, and get throw yourself into a position where you're not ready and of comfortable. Course. Uh, you know, certain to a certain extent, it's good to push your limits and stuff, but, um, you know, you got to be aware of where you're at. But I think that's why personal projects, whatever that is, um, I think per personal projects show, it's easy to say thing. I think a personal project shows action where you hope to take things. Like there's a, this designer by the name, her username on Twitter, I think is Swissmas, mm -hmm. which is brilliant hot cocoa but, nice <laughs> yeah, it's like, but she talks about personal projects show intention of what you hope to be doing mm -hmm. it's the projects that it's those sort of projects that really um reflect the things that you want to be doing professionally so it's i find it interesting to see what other people are doing on the side of just paying the bills mm -hmm. because we can all have those jobs. It doesn't matter if you're driving for Uber or working on film sets. Yeah. I think it's important to have those projects that express some interest of what you hope to be doing. And and you know, it's it also helps shape a creative style, you know, and and you hear you know, uh, about DPs and and directors and stuff, um, you know, most pointedly uh, the director from like Godzilla, you know, the most recent Godzilla. Yeah, and he had, you know, shot this little passion project of his, like a pseudo, you know, monsters. mockumentary at Monsters. And, you know, it really was more of a passion project for him than anything. And then it got in the right hands. The right people saw it. And they go, you know what? We think this guy can. And you never, you just never know where those are going to lead and what that, you know, yeah. how your style is going to develop. And I, I think in looking at Gareth Edwards, I mean, he was a, he was a VFX artist at the mm -hmm. BBC. Yeah. If. I, I might be botching this, but I think I overheard a story once where they're like talking, like people were talking about like Gareth Edwards leaving the BBC to pursue monsters. Mm -hmm. They thought he was crazy to yeah. do this because it's like, why would you leave the BBC? Which is, art. I mean, we're so used to American television. Mm -hmm. The BBC is playing at that level. Just yeah. they happen to be in Europe, in, yeah. in the UK. So people, his colleagues were like, why are you doing this? Well, he. He did monsters, got Godzilla, which I mean, I people have their opinions of it. Yeah, but it's st it's still a major motion picture, a multi hundred you know yeah. hundred two hundred million dollar movie. And then he went to Rogue One. Yeah, and Rogue One is incredible. Yeah, like probably the be the best modern Star Wars film. 
to date. And as your third, like, third movie, too, it's like... <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's still, like, an old dude. He's, like, still, like, he's not our age. In yeah, no, no, no. 20s, early 30s. But I think those passion projects show intention of mm-hmm. what he... And I think he has a long career ahead of him. I think whatever he does next is going to be just as talked about it, and people are going to be just as excited about well, that, and you know that also kind of harps back to um, a point we made earlier that like, you know, there really is no direct way to get to a certain position. There's yeah. no standard way to become a director, to become a DP. I mean, you know, there's the common way, mm-hmm. but you look at a guy who's you know special effects background, and honestly, that'll give him the strength of yeah. you know understanding like what his capabilities are in post and like doing all this kind of stuff, and you know is a big strength to have as a director. Yeah, and there was a dude I worked with at the mill. He was a 3D artist working in, like, Maya. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, right before I went to work at, at the mill, like, I did my homework. I watched everything I could find by the mill. I read their blog. I, I really did my homework to know what the work they did. And I found this film by Simon Brown. He's an Irish uh, 3D artist. He worked on a bunch of films. He worked at Weta, which is a... Uh, the Weta Workshop is in New Zealand. That's the uh, studio that Peter Jackson has down there mm-hmm. for the Lord of the Rings stuff. He did this little film called Travelers, and I, it, the the 3D was incredible. Mm-hmm. And he went to AFI, and he was working. He went to AFI under the directing program, which was, I mean, that's a tough school to get into. Oh, for sure. It's it's like USC or NYU. It's mm-hmm. it's up there. But it's, I think what's interesting in the, about the world we live in, and we could use Cause as an example. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that artist. Um, um, there is no straight path anymore. There never really was a straight path in film and entertainment. But I think we're seeing less of a straight path even now in the traditional sense of corporate America. I think people are going from one job and then they pivot a couple years later. They're pivoting again. They're pivoting, they're pivoting, they're pivoting. Well, it's just that the amount of content out there really, I, I think, is you know a big reason for that. You you look at you know think what people like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, they're just you know Netflix is like quadrupling the amount of shows and movies that they are putting out this year, and it's just I think that gives you know obviously that creates more openings in the industry and gives more people the the opportunity to to kind of break in or even switch roles yeah. and kind of do this stuff. And it, um, it really is, it's changing. It's kind of changing the, the way the ladder is climbed in, yeah. in the film industry. I think it's only going to accelerate because look, I think iTunes is going to get in the game. There's been talks about, I or not, I not Apple, excuse me, Apple. There's been rumors that Apple is going to start doing original content too. But with all these VOD platforms, None of them. They're all not going to survive. No. I think it's we're, I think we're in a boom right now, just like we saw with the tech boom. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to come back to earth here, really, really quickly in the next three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Netflix is obviously the gold standard right now. Yeah. Um, Amazon, in my opinion, is you know about as close as you can be. Um, Hulu is kind of pulling up a distant third but <laughs> in the distance there's a gap yeah. but it's like what Amazon's done with Man in the High Castle mm-hmm. and even grabbing the dudes from Top Gear and mm-hmm. doing Grand Tour they're they're uh, definitely trying to push and yep. trying 
to elevate these things. But um, I think it's interesting, and not to mention, like, look at the work that Vox is doing in terms of just news content on YouTube. That's yeah. interesting. The Verge is doing, uh, yeah, The Verge is doing some interesting stuff. Bleacher Report, Vice, mm-hmm. Vice is really interesting. Grew from a small magazine to now having content on HBO and yeah. becoming a news platform, even though that doesn't quite still doesn't make sense to me but yeah anyways um what advice would you give those to say a coog or somebody else who's going to school or they're maybe a year or two out of school what advice would you give to them and uh about finding that pathway in the business in entertainment or not um well i think the biggest thing is you know i'm i'm a good example of this is like i obviously basically switch careers last minute and you know my career path last minute in college um because i realized you know being in news wasn't going to make me happy and i i think the best advice i can give especially to college students and stuff is like figure out you know what makes you happy like you know you want to work on set sure but like what about being on set excites you and, and makes you want to move forward and mm-hmm. um you know, find, find your passion, find a way to make money off of it. Um, you know, obviously if you're, if you're coming to the film industry, there's so many different positions you can be in. If you like driving, you can, you know, transpo, if you like cooking, you know, it's like there, there's, if you know, this is an industry you want to be in, you'll find a way. And, um, to find people who are smarter and more successful than you and hound the shit out of them. <laughs> I, I know that oh, like, so well. Like, pest, pest, just pester the fuck out of them. Like, it's really just kind of, um, you know, you, you want to find someone um, obviously farther ahead than you that can teach you the things that are going to put you on the right path. Um, find a mentor. Find, find someone who um, who's doing it, who's already doing it, and you know, hopefully they'll be amenable to, you know, letting you kind of tag along. And, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate enough to kind of fall into that situation myself, um, with Moby Reynolds Inc. And, uh, I've been learning a lot from these guys. I've been operating for years and stuff like, you know, my, who I consider my mentor, uh, this guy named Dave Anglin, um, who's a co-owner of Moby Reynolds Inc. He was the first person to use a movie on a major motion picture of, on Southpaw. Jesus. And, um, you know, and since then he's gone on to work on a bunch of feature work and, um, you know, major commercials and stuff. And he's really honest to God, more than any one I've seen, he's pushing Movi as, um, as a legitimate option for, uh, camera use. And so, you know, being around him first off, you know, someone who has good energy like he does is, is great, but, you know, also that he, you know, he's really done great by me in terms of just teaching me, you know, the things that you need to succeed. And, you know, finding someone like that is, is above and beyond, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself. Because coming down here is, is not easy. Coming yeah. down here and breaking into the industry is not easy, with, especially if you don't have help. Yeah, and it's a, it's a crime. It, it is. Like, it's you, going, like, if I were to tell somebody that like wanted help from me, I'd be like, "It's going to take longer mm-hmm. than you expect." Yep. 
every this is what will happen. You'll be on Facebook. You'll see your friends getting married. You'll see them getting engaged. You'll see them having kids. You'll see them getting promotions. And at times you're going to feel very stuck. Yeah. And you're going to think that job in Washington or Oregon or Idaho, the, the Northwest, let's, say, <laughs> let's just make it easy on me. Those jobs, you'll see your friends with jobs in the Northwest working that corporate nine to five getting ahead in life. Mm-hmm. That's it. That will happen. Mm-hmm. I do not. I'm and that's okay because what if you're coming down here to LA or going to New York, LA Demopolis is, she went to New York. Oh, she did. Yeah. Yeah. She had no contacts. Yeah. Unlike we have some, if you're going to pursue this thing, it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder than you ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. And it's about just having that blunt determination saying, fuck you to everything else. This is what I'm doing and doing it in a polite and respectful Mm -hmm. manner and not disrespecting people at the same time. That's the hardest thing to do, mm-hmm. and but at some point you either find that that little grain of opportunity and you grab it, or you head home. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. I did that once, and I decided, you know what, I'm not getting what I want in the Northwest. I'm coming back to Los Angeles. Well, and being able to, you know, to kind of humble yourself and be able to take a step back. And, and say like, you know what, I know I need to be in LA, but it's not happening now. Let me build a portfolio, you know, like take your step back. I mean, it, it happened with me with the camera stuff. Like I was working on set, it wasn't working, but I knew what I need. I knew where I wanted to be and I found a different path to get there. I took a step back and just kind of moved in another direction. It was funny, like I mentioned earlier, when I drove up to Vancouver to pick up that DP, three weeks later I was working on a, a Kia commercial with Bandito mm-hmm. and uh, I had to go to work that next day it was like the first day of pre-pro the crew was flying in from LA first day everybody was coming up I saw the uh, Deadpool trailer before I went to work before I started working on pre-pro and I recognized the Vancouver skyline yeah. like that's Vancouver <laughs> and the only reason I recognized it immediately is because I was there three weeks earlier to pick up that DP and was blown away at how much prettier it is than Seattle. And Seattle <laughs> occupies a good portion of my heart. Yeah. But Vancouver's prettier. It's I'll, amazing. It's it's you, pretty beautiful. You like drive in, you're like, this is real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that Vancouver's only three hours away, but it might as well be as far as Australia because of the challenges that I would have to deal with mm-hmm. in terms of getting work. It might as it's another country, but it might as well be on another continent because yeah. of the challenges that I'm going to face professionally. So I realized then that I needed to be in Los Angeles. Yes, there are myriads, and yes, there are um, divergent paths, and I'm rambling now, but it's okay to explore those for a moment and come back. Yeah, and, you know, it's it, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. is like you figure out what, what makes you happy like what you know will ultimately as a career um or a life you know even just lifestyle choices like what's going to make you happy and um you know if that means you know taking another job for a little bit or you know whatever it's you know just having the determination to 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 end up there and to keep grinding at it it's about staying in la too yeah the minute you leave la the opportunities that you would find are 
it can disappear. It's tough, yeah. Like I dealt with that in the Northwest. Those, those, there's good work happening everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. It depends on what level at which you want to play at. Though. It's true. So, um, kind of getting. I don't want to take too too much of your time. Uh, final thoughts. I mean, if you had to summarize this and tie it up and make it all pretty, how would you summarize your thoughts and opinions on what we've been talking about? Um, I mean, just the main thing I can impress is like. You know, the film industry is not easy. It's never been easy. Um, you know, it's only getting more competitive and and really, you know, yeah, there's more jobs, but there's also more people to fill those jobs. Um, you know, if, if you find that this is an industry you really want to be a part of um, and you really want to be in, you know, number one, you got to have a tough skin. <laughs> Grow it fast. Grow it fast. You, you're you're going to get on set with some, some pretty big egos that um, – you know their main source of enjoyment and entertainment is is breaking production assistance down <laughs> and um you know and really um just sticking with it it's just determination it's you know nose to the grindstone um and you know just being able to put up with a lot of bullshit <laughs> kind of end up where you want to be and but it's so true it's so true (laughs) but honestly like at the end of the day um you know you're you're helping like create cultural you know you know you're, you're helping shape a culture you're you're pushing social issues um you know you're you're progressing a medium of um you know, of social social change that's really, in my opinion, like unrivaled in 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 the world. Like um, the things that movies do for um, you know that are that are trying to do for you know African American rights and and you know anti racism, uh, LGBT, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. It's it's progressing and helping to progress our culture um, like no other medium I've seen. And it's you know I'm very much proud to be a part of it and it gets me out of bed every day and just gets me excited to like get up and go to work and you know makes me happy <laughs> well, I, think, I don't think I can find a better uh, way to end it than on that yeah I did <laughs> well that was my conversation with Reed Murphy big thanks for him to come on the show I found it super informative and I hope that you did too be sure to follow Reed on Instagram his landscape photography and his behind-the-scenes photography are fantastic. I enjoy them, and I know you will too. If you enjoy Render Time, please leave a comment and leave a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That would be super impactful, and it would help other people find the show and use it as a resource to ultimately chase after their dreams. You can also find me, Richard, all over the interwebs as well. Search for me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. You will find me there. But that's all the time we got. It's over. It's time to go and go chase our dreams. As always, create, share, and sustain the life that you want. Get out there and make some awesome work, guys. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks.